0: People who choose youth work are truly amazing individuals. These are people who care so deeply for our young people and have a real passion for service. My name is Paul Munir. I'm the executive director of Yippa, and I'll interview some of these youth workers from around the globe, and we'll figure out just what makes them tick and drives their passion. Welcome to this edition of The Passionate Youth Worker. Hi, everybody. For this episode, we're joined by Nancy Lee Vang from Minnesota in the United States. Nancy, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Paul. Well, you're welcome. It's nice to have you here. You are currently the g Program Coordinator at Women's Initiative for Self-Employment, or most people know you as WISE, but you're transitioning into a new role as the Community Engagement Manager Southeast Asian at Planned Parenthood North Central States. Nancy, I personally know how great your co-workers are at WISE. I've had the chance to meet some of them. What made you decide to take on this new role?
1: Yeah, it's definitely the passion I have for reproductive health and reproductive justice. And I know that uh, Planned Parenthood is all about reproductive health, right, and pro-choice. And so I think that's a big part of my passion, and it's been a part of me since I was young.
0: Well, what, what fuels your passion for reproductive rights? Why did you... You choose moving in that direction?
1: I think it's the um, the community. Uh, I am Hmong American, and so um, reproductive health is really hush-hush in my community. And so when I was younger, no one educated me about the topic. And so um, it really sparked my interest growing up that, you know, why is this topic so quiet? Why is it so hush-hush? Why is nobody talking about it? And it's always been Uh, A passion of mine, I think it started because having that menstrual cycle, everybody goes through it. Every woman goes through it. And instead of being educated about it, you know, I look down and I'm like, oh, my God, am I dying? I didn't talk to anybody about it. You know, I just like, oh, you know, maybe I'll go away. When my mother found out that I was going through that cycle, um, instead of educating me, and I get that she was also scared that her baby girl was growing up, you know, her voice got really loud. <laughs> and so it, it just got me thinking, you know, this is important. You know, our community shouldn't be quiet about it. We should talk about it because we don't want other young children going through and being scared and that it's embarrassing. You know, they need to know about these things.
0: Yeah, so you decide to take it upon yourself and help young people understand that when they have their menstrual cycle or when they come of age that they have people to be able to talk to. Definitely. Why do you think your parents were so silent
1: on that? Why didn't they uh, educate you more And from your perspective? Sure. Honestly, I think it's a patriarchal thing in the moon community where um it's really quiet and men are always the voice Mm -hmm. and so they follow the old tradition of you know men do this women are supposed to stay home and take care of the children and cook and clean and sex is just a really quiet topic no one talks about it it's shameful you know to talk about it it's very embarrassing and people don't talk about it you know and i think about it i think i had a conversation with my sister some time ago and we talked about our clothing where that we're so conservative that we have a long length of cloth covering our dress to show that you know it's private Um, same thing for the men clothing they have a long piece of red drape that go and cover their private part and i think it's just embarrassing in the community
0: that's interesting. And and that must have been difficult as a young person because here you are in- with those traditional kind of values about uh, reproduction and things of that nature. And yet, you're living in the United States where you have access to uh, things all over the internet and the way young people are uh, dating and interacting with each other. It must have been a little confusing for you.
1: It definitely was. I think uh, when I first wore the Hmong clothing, I kept playing with a long, little, long cloth that was covering uh-huh. my skirt. Okay. And my yeah. mom like pinched me and she said, Stop it. You're showing your private part. I'm like, But I'm wearing a skirt. And so you can definitely see the difference between Hmong culture and American culture. And I'm like, but I don't get it. It's co- I'm wearing a skirt, so I'm not like showing my private part, right? But to them, it's like that's to cover your private part.
0: Now, your parents, did they meet here in the United States or did they know each other before they moved here? Or
1: Sure, they met in Thailand. Uh, they met when they were like 12, 13. My dad immediately fell in love with her and married her. Um, and then they came here to uh, America. And what brought them to America? Uh, what What do you think that
0: they saw here that they didn't see in Thailand? What, what drove them to decide to move?
1: Sure, and I think it really happened after the... The secret war, um, I don't know if you know about it, but people talk about it in my community. It's the secret war that happened during, like, after the Vietnam War. Americans reached out to the Hmong communities and asked if they can support the American soldiers. And of course, our leader at that time, General Ving Pao, was like, yeah, you know, and so he reached out to other Hmong men to become soldiers. So it was right after that secret war where Americans promised, you know, if you help us, we will um, promise you safety to America. And so that's why a lot of Hmong communities in Thailand or Laos at that time were like, yeah, America is like a dream. We wanna go to America. And so it was right after that war where a lot of Hmong families wanted to come to America. And my family, my parents were, yeah, we wanna come. We wanna go because a lot of my dad's brothers, and sisters were coming already, and they already came here because they were soldiers. My dad was just waiting to get a chance to come.
0: And your parents, I know your dad was a teacher Mm -hmm. in Thailand. Can you tell us a little bit about your dad? I know you uh, have a special place in your heart for your father. Can you talk about him a little bit?
1: Sure, yes, my dad definitely does have a special place in my heart. He is an amazing person. He was a principal in Thailand, and he had many, many teachers. And he passed away in 2013, and I think it was at that moment when I realized how special he was to me. Excuse me if I start crying. <laughs> um, yeah. He is, uh, I just can't thank him enough for bringing me into the world. I know that when they came to America, both my parents were lo- uh, wanting to have more kids, right? Mm -hmm. because they only had my older brother and my my older sister. And when they came here, my dad was like, I want more kids. (laughs) And my mom was difficult because I think she had what I have too. She has PCOS, so it was difficult for her to uh, conceive at that time. And so they worked really hard to have me. And so I'm a blessing, right? I was first born <laughs> here, and then my brother was born after me. And and I, I think ever since then, I realized that my dad was very special because he's always wanted me and my brother.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, your dad does sound like a great person, and and I know – he walked away from a lot, I think, to find, a, uh, I think, uh, a better life for his children and a better future for people like you and, and uh, a lot of people. And so he gave up a prestigious role as a, as a, a principal, uh, you said, or a, 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 yes. a, a program. And did he teach when he got here then, too? Uh,
1: he did not. He actually came here and he, right, he went right to school. Uh, I believe he went to a two-year community college and got a degree in engineering.
0: He not only started in a whole new place, he started a whole new career, started a whole new life. I I have so much admiration for people who have the courage to do something like that. It's got to be unbelievably difficult. So hearing about your mom being more quiet, a little bit more reserved, and to have more of the traditional roles of the Hmong uh, women where they're not uh, as outspoken as the men. But Nancy, you're such a, a confident, outspoken person. Uh, well, how did that happen? How did you break out of that and become who you are today?
1: Yeah, thank you so for so much for asking. Um, you know, I think it was a part of my dad too, who really encouraged me to go to edu- uh, go to school. Education is very, very important in our family. My dad's dream was for one of his kids doesn't matter who to get a doctorate degree, right? Mm. And honestly, I was always the black sheep in the family where everybody looked at me like, oh, you know, she's not as smart as the brother. She's not as smart as the sister. Right. She's just going to be very, very good daughter. She's just going to get her high school degree and stay home with the family. Right. That's what they saw me. But I think it really changed when. I went to college at St. Cloud State University, where I really was not sheltered anymore. I was living by myself. And that's where I grew. That's where I found myself. And that's where I'm like, uh, I realized that the Hmong community was so, like the Hmong women expe- especially, was so oppressed and that we mm-hmm. were so quiet that we couldn't really be who we are, who we wanted to be. And so it led me to be like, no. That's not who I want to be. I want to be this person. I want to be somebody who reaches for her goals, her passion. And so that's where I am now. And I think it really happened because my dad was saying education is important. And I think that's where I got where I am today is because education is important.
0: Wow, that's really a nice story. And I happen to know you're uh, in route to getting your doctorate degree. So uh, kudos to you. And you really have blossomed into this leader, this uh, transformative person that is trying to make the world a better place, which takes a lot of strength, a lot of internal drive to do that kinds of things. I'm wondering, how has your mom accepted that? Because that is different than what she was brought up to think of women to be. Has she come to understand you?
1: Yes, she definitely has. And I think it's just because uh, people look at me as a rebel. And I, I've i empowered. As a rebel, as a okay. rebel yes. And okay. I've, I've taken that term and I've used it to empower myself. And cool. so... Um, it really, because I'm such a rebel that my mom was like, oh, you're never going to listen to me. I'm like, yeah, because I have my own ways of living life, you know? And so it got to the point where she's like, oh, okay. And I think it really, really, I think the moment she changed and became very accepting was the moment when she lost my dad. That was when she was like, oh, life is so different. You should live it, you know, because life is so short. It was at that moment when she realized, okay, you know what? I want you to be happy. Because if you're happy, it'll make me happy. And it was those last words. Actually, my dad said those last words before he passed to me. He said, wherever you go, just know if you're happy, we'll be happy for you. Whoever you choose to love, doesn't matter who, just know that we'll be happy because you're happy. It was those words that got me to realize that my dad was very awesome.
0: Wow, what a wonderful thing to to leave you with uh, just an absolute loving message to to share with you and to inspire you to go on and and do incredible things i I think his mission is complete. He's mo- <laughs> he created a young person who's gonna go out and choose her own life and choose her own career path. You know Nancy. What sort of things and lessons did you learn from your childhood that you carry into your youth work today?
1: I think as a young person, I was very alone. Um, I grew up with my two brothers. My sister got married really young. Mm -hmm. And so I really felt alone as like a a female, especially among female youth growing up. I learned how to really like be outspoken be really friendly, and I had a lot of friends in high school that really encouraged me to grow as well, right? I looked at my friends, and they're all really feminine, and they wear makeup, and they wear earrings and jewelries, and I'm like, I'm nothing like that. (laughs) I am nothing like that. I don't know how to put makeup on. Um, I never wore jewelry, and it wasn't until 10th grade when I started to, like, really change myself, and I just, you know, it was just one day. It was just one day I just decided to like, oh, you know, I'm going to straighten my hair or I'm going to try to put makeup on. And that's when I started to grow in 10th grade. And Mm -hmm. because I never had an older sister around because she was dealing with her own trauma at that time, too, I had to grow. And ever since then, I realized if I ever do get into youth work, I want to be a mentor for somebody who wasn't there for me. Right. I want to be a mentor for I wanted to have a mentor that I couldn't, and I wanted to be that mentor for somebody else. Wow,
0: that's wonderful. I love the stories of when people turn their own situation into some sort of destiny for themselves and and a career path for themselves. When did you think you were going to uh, become a youth worker? At what point in your uh, career exploration
1: did you say, okay, uh, I think I want to help young people? Uh, It was definitely during college. I was at St. Cloud State University, and I had uh, financial aid, so I did a work study. Mm -hmm. And part of my work study was to work at an elementary school, working with sixth-grade students and helping them with reading and math. Um, It was that—every day It was that work study that taught me, like, oh, I love working with youth. So after I graduated St. Cloud State— my first job was a health educator and working with youth and educating them about teen pregnancy and STIs. So we were working mm-hmm. on prevention. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so even back then you were talking about reproductive health and, and, <laughs> and safe sexual practices, things definitely, like that.
1: Definitely, yes. And I think, yep, it was definitely that passion.
0: <laughs> well, it's a, such a good thing to have you doing what you're doing. Nancy, we're at a point where we just have to take a short break, but when we come back I have a lot more questions to ask you, so we'll be right back. No matter how you support our young people, the Professional Youth Worker powered by Yippa has your training and learning needs covered. Visit training.yippa.org. that's training.yipa.org, to see for yourself, and then join the thousands of youth workers around the globe who learn from our easy-to-access, exceptional trainings. From our blogs to our podcasts, the Professional Youth Worker is your go-to resource for tools to help you keep going, keep learning, and keep growing. Members enjoy free, unlimited access to live online and on-demand trainings and a preferred discount pricing for our one-of-a-kind certificate course. Annual memberships are just $99 for individuals and only $250 for your entire organization. Visit training.yipa.org today to learn more. That's training.yipa.org. And we're back with Nancy Lee Vang from Minnesota here in the United States, Nancy, you've experienced a lot, worked at a bunch of different places, you've done a lot of different things. What do you say like the most favorite thing you
1: have about working with young people is? What what do you like most about it? Definitely seeing the growth in them. I when I started at Ggel I had some 6th graders and now mm-hmm. they're 8th graders and it's so fun and so cool to see that one summer it can change them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because I had them as sixth graders and then summer ended and then they came back in the fall and they became seventh graders and you can see the growth in them. Like they matured, they matured over the summer. And it was so fun to see that because they immediately came back to me and said, Miss Nancy, you know, last year when we were working with you, we want to apologize. We were so rowdy. You know, we should have been (laughs) like that. And ever since then, I'm like, "Ooh, yeah, you grew. (laughs) And that's the fun thing about working with youth is you can see the growth in them.
0: Yeah, that is fun. And especially when you're working at that age, like middle school or early high school, they really uh, go through some massive changes in a short period of time. And I can see why you like that. What are some of the things that make your work difficult when you are in your daily grind, uh, mostly loving it, but some days it's not going so good? What are those situations like? What gives you kind of pause?
1: It's the interaction. I'm a people person. And so Mm -hmm. if I don't work with the girls, if I don't see them, or even like be in person with them or interacting with them, it's really hard. um, Because it's like, I don't know what to do now, you know, because you're like my daily thing. (laughs) And so that's the hard part especially now that we're in the pandemic and we have to do everything virtually it's been really hard because it's like i need the interaction with you like face to face we need to do our hands-on activities um if doing this over virtual is very hard because it's like i don't know if you're doing it right and i don't know if you're like having questions it's really hard so i think that's the hard part is not having that like person-to-person interaction
0: yeah, so you you really enjoy that. It sounds like interfacing in person with young people gives you energy. And it, it, it what really fuels your passion is just the energy? Or is it the interactions or the topics you talk about? Or what is it that fuels your
1: passion then? It's definitely the energy. It's the, the energy. Um, yep, because I keep telling myself I'm, I'm an empath, so I can feel people's energy. And so if I'm in a uh-huh. room with young people who have so much energy, I have that. If I'm not in the room, I'm just by myself, then I'm just feeling my own emotions and my own energy. And I'm just like, I need to do something. I can't sit still. It's definitely that reason why I took this role as a G-GAL program coordinator is because I was always up and I never stood still. I was always driving. I was always going places and I was always meeting my youth. And so it's definitely the energy that drives me.
0: I can see that. And as somebody who did direct service for many years, I found it. As much as I liked it, I found it really tiring uh, because you don't even have to be like high energy yourself, but it can be exhausting just being around it. And so it's hard work, I think. And it takes a lot of willingness on your own part as a youth worker to know how to balance like how much energy do you give and how much energy you get. And uh, that's a difficult balance sometimes.
1: I definitely agree. Um, it's funny because a lot of my friends who are adults are like, Nancy, you have too much energy for me any space from you <laughs> i'm like well thank you i'm glad that i have energy
0: <laughs> nancy you you spoke a little bit about uh, the pandemic and i know this has been hard on everybody especially the people of the aapi community uh the mun community the southeast asian community uh, pacific islanders uh, uh, they've uh, really had to endure a lot beyond the things that everybody else has had to the Attacks and and, uh, sometimes real hatred towards people of your community are are real. And I'm wondering, how has that impacted you? Or have you seen examples of stuff like that?
1: I have. When the first attack of the six women who were murdered in Atlanta, it was very upsetting. I got really angry and I didn't know how to deal with it. It definitely was very traumatizing for me because personally, I actually had a friend, a sister that I called, considered, who was from Atlanta, who was murdered years back. And so when that happened recently, it brought that back to me. It brought that memory back to me. And I'm like, this can't be happening. And so I didn't know how to deal with it. I was very shut down. It was very quiet. But as more and more happens during social media, as I see more on the news, I just got really angry. Because I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. Because you know, first it was uh, there was that murder of George Floyd, and that got me really upset, upset too as well. I was angry during that time, but at the same time, I was worried about my youth. I was worried about the youth participants, and so I was more focused on them. But when that happened with the sixth Asian woman being murdered, I thought about myself. And I never, ever thought about myself until recently. Because like I said, during George Floyd, I was worrying about my youth, right? Yeah. But then yeah. right when the six Asian women were murdered, I thought about myself. And I'm like, I'm an Asian woman. That would have been me. And then immediately after thinking about myself, I thought about my students who are also Southeast Asian as well. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with this world? Yeah, I'm really upset. I, I'm i glad that it kind of like uproared all the Asian communities coming together to like, fight this, fight the um, hate crimes. But at the same time, I'm really worried about myself and my youth, and I'm worried about all the people who are living by themselves, and especially my young Asian um, youth participants, too, because they are so sheltered right now. They don't know what's going on. It's really difficult. So...
0: I got to believe that when you work with young people and you have conversations, because I'm, I'm sure you're engaging with them on this and helping them cope with it, but yet you have to cope with it yourself. How do you balance that? I got to believe that's um, not easy to do, to take care of yourself, but also be there for young people who are feeling the exact same thing you are, maybe even on a more intense level because they don't know what to, how to frame it in their minds.
1: Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because I personally was so traumatized that I didn't really want to bring it up. But thankfully, my awesome staff at WISE, my coworkers, one mm-hmm. when was like, you know, I wonder, and she private messaged me first and she said, I wonder if we should bring this up and talk to the girls about it, you know, because they might be feeling something. And I said, that's a really good topic to talk about. I just, kind of pushed it away because I was traumatized but we can definitely talk about it you know and I think it was that moment when when my colleague mentioned it that I was like oh yeah okay <laughs> like it kind of like brought me back to like reality like this is very important you know like I shouldn't just push it away just because I'm traumatized I want to encourage other people to really like reach out and talk about it as well yeah and so thankful I'm so I'm thankful for my colleague for bringing it up and that's when uh, we slowly brought the topic up for the youth, and we talked about it, and I led the conversation. I shared my experience about being traumatized because I lost a sister from Atlanta as well to the group. And you know, and because we're so far away, because we're in Minnesota, the only thing we really could do was talk about it and keep our group safe. And at the same time, I'm like, you know, let's have a moment of silence for our other sisters who are dealing with this, and for those who have been murdered, and for the families. And so we did that, and the girls are very, like, empowered. They, like, it was like a light bulb. Like, they saw something because we talked cool. about it.
0: So what kind of advice can you give to them? I, certainly, I guess you're probably suggesting they be careful, not find themselves alone, which is just horrible to think about that you have to talk about that. But what, what kind of things are you telling them about this, this certain hatred out there for people of aapi
1: community sure uh so definitely for my youth i'm letting them know that definitely be careful be with your families be safe know that there are other peoples out there that are um, dealing with with what you're going through Mm i know that we're all here to support you but definitely if you do go out be safe go with somebody don't go out alone and i think right now even there's like a, a organization just just like gathered and said, you know, we, if you want safety, if you want to walk with somebody, reach out. And I saw that and I'm like, yeah, definitely like don't go out by yourself. Go with somebody.
0: Nancy, you've got uh, so much wisdom inside you. Uh, I just, I'm so grateful that these young people have somebody like you to talk to. I'm grateful that you're doing that work. I'm curious, Nancy, let's just talk a little bit more about you Sure. Um, what What are some adjectives people would use to describe you? What What would they say about you?
1: The first word whenever somebody asks me that is, um, that comes out from my mouth is bubbly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I think even like during interview questions like, oh, you know, what is one word that describes you? Know, I was like bubbly. You know, I think and it definitely is. And I've taken that word and I've like myself, I've empowered it and use it. And I am. I definitely am very bubbly. I'm very friendly. I accept people into my life. Um, And I have this weird trust that immediately I give trust to you. You know, even if you're a stranger, I trust you, you know, because I, I believe in you. So definitely the word, the best word to describe me is bubbly. That's that's great,
0: and I and I think of you as bubbly too. I know you and I have been talking about some uh, kind of heavy topics uh, mm-hmm. regarding your dad and the situation that the AAPI community is facing. Those are heavy things, and so your bubbliness didn't shine there. But I've talked to you at other times, and I that is a good word to describe um, how I think of you. And it's interesting when you talk about trust because I do the same thing, and I don't know if everybody does this, but I'm willing to give people trust until I learn I can't trust them. Right. And other people, you have to earn their trust first. And that's an interesting thing. Uh, I wonder, do you, do you see that more common in in youth workers where that your approach is more common? Or do you think it's just across the board different for each person?
1: I think it's different for each person. But for me personally, I definitely give trust right away. And I think that's why I was able to build that relationship with my youth participants is because I trust them, you know, like they're young and they immediately see you as an adult. So they're going to be like pushed back. But the moment when you're like, I'm giving you my vibe, I'm giving you my energy and I trust you, that's when they're like, oh, and so they slowly come up to you and be like, yeah, Miss Nancy, I trust you too. So, yeah.
0: And how important do you think that trust is in working with young people? I mean, it seems like it's so critical.
1: It's very important because if you don't build that trust with your youth participants, you are not going to build that relationship with them. And they're just going to be like in your class and boom, they're gone. And I think the reason why a lot of my girls come back into Jigal is because because I've developed that relationship with them. I've developed that trust for them. And it's always of, you know, you don't pick and choose who you want to favor, right? There's no such thing as favor in youth work. Uh And so I always meet each and every one of my youth at the same level and I treat them at the same equal and I talk to them individually and I always in the beginning of every quarter I have a thing where I individually meet with them so that they have that chance to get to know me at first they're like why am I meeting with her you know like they're thinking like why am I meeting with May Nancy I don't want to talk to her mm-hmm. but then like giving that that per- per- opportunity to like individually meet with them and they meet with you they learn that, oh, Miss Nancy is kind of cool. You know, like she will definitely give me her time if I needed it.
0: Yeah, and it seems like it's a universal trait across the board that everybody needs somebody to trust. We are social creatures evolutionary-wise. We've adapted to learning to trust each other and rely on each other. And I think about sometimes young people who don't have somebody to trust, and that just um, almost makes me sick to my stomach, knowing there's people out there that truly feel like nobody can be trusted. Thank goodness we have programs and ways to connect young people um, so that they can develop that kind of relationship with somebody. Well, you know, we're just about out of time, Nancy, but before we go, I've got the million dollar question to ask you that I ask every guest that comes on to the podcast is what words of inspiration or wisdom would you like to share with the listeners?
1: Definitely just follow your dreams, follow your passion. And if you're working with youth, be yourself because they're definitely going to grow and you're going to see that. So be that person they want you to be. And be that adult that they want you to be. Be that mentor they want you to be. Um, Just be that leader that they're looking up to. Because once they see that from you, they will grow and they will take that in. And they will become a leader themselves.
0: Wow, that's so true. Uh, It it is just a big responsibility we have in youth work. I don't think people realize just how important this job is. We are influencing the lives of people. Uh, To be authentic and be yourself like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. is is the secret to all this stuff working is just bring your best self to your work every day
1: definitely definitely i agree bring the best yeah bring your best self yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Nancy, uh, it was great getting to know you. Thank you for sharing so many personal stories. I, I think the listeners will really feel how sincere you are and how bubbly you could be if we were talking about funner things. <laughs> sure. uh, sometimes there's things that uh, are hard to talk about, and I appreciate you sharing those
1: stories with our listeners. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for even asking. I think I've held these stories in for so long that it's great to even like bring it up.
0: Great. Well, and thank you to all the listeners out there who work with young people. We know you're doing incredible things. We know you're building trusting relationships with young people. And ultimately, we know you're making the world a better place because you're helping young people, one person at a time, find themselves and get empowered like Nancy was talking about. So thank you for the work you do. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it wherever you found us. And if you have feedback for us, whether it's positive or negative, please let us know. You can just send me an email at paul at yipa.org. That's paul at y-i-p-a dot org. And let me know your thoughts about uh, The Passionate Youth Worker. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Passionate Youth Worker. I'm your host, Paul Minear. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to share your passion for youth work, we'd love to spotlight you as a guest. Just visit us at training.yippa.org. That's training.yippa.org. And click on the podcast tab. This podcast is made possible in part due to the generous contribution from M Health Fairview. I'm your host, Paul Munir. Thanks for listening to The Passionate Youth Worker.